listeners, and welcome to the Religious Studies Project. I'm Andy Alexander, and I'm very delighted to be back here with you after our brief hiatus last semester. I will say, for those who don't know, this was in large part due to the fact that I recently moved to the United Kingdom because I needed to have all things RSP in my life, so why not come to the home of the Religious Studies Project? But that news aside, I'm very happy to be kicking off our 2023 how is it already 2023 semester with an excellent interview of Dr. Shireen Amir Mozami by Candace Mixon. In this episode, they're talking about Dr. Amir Mozami's new book, Interrogating Muslims, The Liberal Secular Matrix of Integration, where they'll be discussing issues of assimilation and integration, particularly with regard to Muslims in Germany, as well as exploring ideas of state governance. But I will let Candace introduce our guest and take it away. Welcome, everyone. I'm Candace Mixon, and joining me today is Professor Dr. Shireen Amir Moazami from the Free University Berlin, where she is in the Institute of Islamic Studies. She focuses in her research on religious politics in Europe, secularism, political theory, gender issues, as well as Islamic movements in Europe. So, so many things that we could cover. But today we're using her new book, Interrogating Muslims, The Liberal Secular Matrix of Integration, out in Bloomsbury in 2022, as a point through which to discuss topics such as state categorizations of religion in the liberal state and considerations of religion and secularism. She's previously published a book on headscarf controversies in France and Germany, as well as works on the politics of knowledge production on Muslims and Islam in Europe. So welcome to the Religious Studies Project, Shireen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Wonderful. So I just want to dive in with our work. And what I'm really interested in to start with is, is how you got into this particular line of study. And also, maybe what's the urgency that you saw this particular product at this particular time in terms of politics and religion in Europe or Germany specifically? Yeah, thanks so much for the question. So I think there are two things which uh, brought me to study practices of integration directed at Muslims in the particular case of Germany, but I think I also partly speak about Western Europe a little bit more broadly. Uh, because the integration paradigm has become salient in many Western European countries uh, recently, um, but also a little bit longer than recently. But I will come back to the uh, legacies and so on probably later. Um, So um, one particular thing or one point um, that triggered my attention is a very broad one, and that is um, what I call with Foucault the incitement to discourse or the explosion of discourse on Muslims and Islam, um, one could say globally, but one could definitely say in the global north and in Europe in particular. Um, That is to say that no single debate um, on refugee crisis or on migration or on the question of how to deal with plurality, religious, cultural, political even, and whatever kinds of pluralities, Um, passes without um, the question of Islam and Muslims being addressed. And I speak here, I think, for Western Europe more broadly, right? So um, that is um, uh, an an incitement to discourse. And of course, every kind of discourse and incitement to discourse has always 
um, entails also shortages. So um, not everything that is said can be heard. Um, there are things which are silenced and there are at the same time um, on and over and over again, the same kinds of questions raised. Um, and, th and that was something which um, really not only puzzled me, but also disturbed me that um, the, the set of questions that have been raised towards Muslims and Islam in Western Europe have really been over and over the same and always um, directed only as at Muslims and not at the, or very rarely at the, you know, the problem space that enables um, the, the framework of question. And, and, and just to let me, I mean, to, to, to be a bit more precise, I mean, the kind of questions that Muslims have to be answer, have to answer or had to answer are such uh, questions such as, can Islam be reformed? Um, where is an Islamic Luther? You know, this kind of question has really been Absolutely. raised. And there is even, you know, uh, an Islamic Luther now, or someone who calls himself an Islamic Luther in Germany. That's the irony, uh, but that's something else. But um, as things like um, are Muslim gender norms um, compatible with liberal secular norms um, of of gender equality, um, and 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 all these, I mean, these these sets of questions really, sets of questions really, um, yeah, I mean, have generated a master question, which I would um, say is the question whether Islam and Muslims can be integrated into the social fabric of European nation states. And that is, and that question entails a set of, um, you know, sub questions, but I think that's the kind of master question, which um, has been raised over and over again in different facets. And that was something which I really wanted to pause on and to ask why this salience, why this one-sided direction of, of the question, and where does this idea that integration is something, you know, positive and, you know, opposite to Islamophobia or segregation, where does this come from? So that was, I mean, these kinds of, these two are interrelated, um, you know, um, things, the discursive incitement and um, integration as the, the paradigm that should solve problems, which I think are part of, you know, the, 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 the set of questions that are raised. So these, these two kinds of um, points triggered my concern. And therefore, I wanted to yeah. go a bit more into detail and look at the rationalities of integration in this particular German context. That's my case study, right? I mean, if you want yeah. to call it that way. Yeah, I mean, this is great because as you mentioned, you know, when when one asks the question like, oh, can Islam and Muslims be integrated on on face value, one might say, well, why not? Or, you know, sure, everyone's welcome, you know. Um, but I think that the way that your research is really turning the turning the lens to ask what questions arise when we say Islam or we say Muslim and we have an idea of what that means. I think that is is really great um, about your work. Um, mm. So kind of connected to that and thinking about the structures that inform um, you know the types of 
yeah, lenses that we can look at this issue through. You know, you're talking a lot about integration. Obviously, that's part of the book. Um, but can you say more about the differences between assimilation and integration, um, either historical examples or just how you use those terms differently? Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, what I really wanted to show in that book is that the call for integration or the interpolation to integrate is um, something which is implemented into nation state logics. And, and that, and therefore, um, to show that, that brought me back to assimilation, basically. So it's not so much a comparative work on the different modalities of integration or assimilation. And I'm also not making a normative argument saying that is, um, integration can be bettered or could be bettered if we um, yeah, deployed it in different ways. Um, and I'm also not saying that assimilation is bad and integration is good, because that's something which a lot of um, scholars yeah. have actually um, done. But I'm, I'm really more interested in the mechanisms at stake when a minoritarian population or minority, more minoritized population, one could say, um, is incited to integrate, and I and that brought and that question um, brought me back to other kinds of um, similar techniques um, and and to the question uh, to the to the legacy of assimilation basically. And of course, if we think of assimilation in the in, in the German context and even in the European context, then we very quickly come to the question of the of Jewish assimilation, and um, that is what I really then wanted to show that not necessarily that it's that the incitement to integration directed at Muslims is the same as the mm. assimilation of, of Jews, but I wanted to say that there is, or to show that there is a certain, that there are certain patterns that are repeated. And if we juxtapose those two minority questions in a way, we see that it's not, it's really not about what the minority does, what it thinks, um, what or what what the people of the minority think, what they practice, if they are compatible or not. It's really about a certain structure that imposes a certain kind of idea of the national whole, right? I mean, and so that's that's what I really think is getting is getting repeated in the paradigm of integration. Uh, there's also an assumption that there is a, a, a kind of preconstituted whole into which a minority can be or should be integrated. Um, and the minority is obviously a deficient kind of um, entity that is constituted in that very call of us of, of integration. And the same has happened with um, assimilation, I think, right? I mean, this, it's also this idea that there is a, is a kind of national body um, an organ even, as Sigmund Baumann shows in his work, um, on, on whom I very much rely, an organ into which a strange different organ has to be and can be and must be actually assimilated in order to survive. So that's, I mean, that's the interesting legacy, I think, if we think of um, the, the, the kind of corporeal, somatic language that is also, I think, entailed in even in integration, even if it's very much kind of abstracted, right, from mm -hmm. from um, in the, from the body or from the idea that there is a, a national body. But it's it's very I mean, I think it's very interesting that the 
the notion of assimilation derives from biology. That's what um, Sigmund Baumann shows, right? And and the and it was then transformed and translated into social engineering, if we if you will, if you wish, or like um, it, it was also then translated into a social scientific language as well, right? Because there's also this whole legacy of measuring assimilation, right? I mean, in in integrate in 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 migration studies or um, I mean, especially in the US, by the way, it, this was, I mean, I think in the US, it was much more prominent at the beginning, even if it was not related to, it has a different, has a different legacy, obviously, in, in the US assimilation, but it was also the idea that you can measure assimilation, which also, you know, um, presupposes a certain kind of idea of a, of an entity that is already pre-existing, and that is intact, and that um, it's that gets only deficient or gets um, yeah has kind of erosive margins that need to be inserted and fixed right in order to fix the the national whole. So that's that's the kind of that was the incentive of bringing assimilation and integration together. And it's as I said, it's not so much the comparative aspect because I don't do a proper comparison, and I also don't think that this is the most I mean, it would be interesting, but I think it's more, much more interesting to bring the present a little bit at distance and to show where certain patterns derive from, especially if we forget that these, okay. that there is a history behind, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's an important point that um, whether one thing is called assimilation or integration or other um, terminologies that we can see, nonetheless, this issue that you're talking about, about controlling what the identity of the inductee versus um, the mm. thing accepting it, et cetera, um, mm. is. And we can kind of question those categories, I think. Yeah. Um, so, so thinking about, um, in your work, you, you talk a bit about um, secularism as a structuring feature of religious plurality. And you note that that hasn't really been taken seriously in the scholarship on Islamophobia or anti-Muslim racism in Germany. Um, and so I'm curious, yeah, how, how we might think more about secularism as the structuring of religious um, plurality and like why that's been left out a bit in terms of talking about Islamophobia in Europe or, or Germany, because I feel like a lot of people talk about that, but not as much of the secular side that you've brought up in your book. Yeah, no, thanks for the question. I think that's really a precise reading. And that's um, my sense also. I mean, I have not done a you know, complete survey of all the work that has been done on Islamophobia or anti-Muslim racism, because that's actually a kind of, I mean, it's quite an inflationary <laughs> um, scholarship for good reasons, right? Because it's really urgent and it's salient also to, to study it. So and I'm, I'm but I, I haven't done a complete survey, but what I have observed is that, um, especially of course in the scholarship on anti-Muslim racism, as the term already indicates, um, it's very much about questions of how racism is then now directed at a particular religious population that is Muslims, right? But um, what, what this work, not, I wouldn't say, has not done at all, but has rarely done, is really to think about the question of race and religion as intertwined and interrelated and co-constitutive uh, concepts, which obviously, um, or categories, let's say, which obviously are structured not only by the racial 
slash national state, but also by the secular state, right? Um, and structured and governed. And um, that is something which um, a lot of work on secular studies, I mean, critical secular studies, that is, as it is, has been coined by Talal Assad and, and um, his interlocutors. And I think in the US, it's very well known and it's very established. Uh, in Europe, not so much. But a, a lot of work um, that has been done in, within that kind of um, scholarship, I mean, I, that obviously secularism has been taken very seriously as a structuring feature of governing uh, religious populations in, in general and, and religious minorities in particular. Um, but it has not really been uh, coupled, as I, as I indicated, and you also indicated in your question, um, with, um, with what one could call anti-Muslim racism or the Basically, also because I'm not only interested in anti-Muslim racism, I'm much more interested also in the structures of power in a more general sense, right? Mm -hmm. um, also, the more subtle powers, which are not necessarily entailed in this idea of anti, right, of or of repression or sanction or overt uh, hatred, or you know. So I'm much more interested in those um, more subtle but still mechanisms and techniques of power, um, and and I think that. And, and and another layer to your question is, um, I mean, one one answer which I already mentioned is definitely the the um, cent the centering of racism, and the um, I don't know exactly how I should how I should call it, but like I wouldn't say ignorance, but the indifference or even the lack of attention um, towards um, the secular state as a player and a problematic that needs to be um, addressed. Um, and I think also another layer to that is um, that it's that the, the critical secular studies have really not been entered, have not entered into many disciplines and many discussions um, on the political level or academic level in the European, um, in Europe, I would say writ large, right? I mean, in, in religious studies, in Islamic studies a little bit, um, in anthropology, it's quite established, but it's really not, doesn't have the same resonance. And and I'm, I'm still asking myself why this is so, mm -hmm. because I feel, you know, I have myself sometimes really problems in communicating um, my points, why this is so important, right, to, to, to mm. think through that and if i you know address it in conferences or public speeches or with students it's very clear i mean people are like like it's almost like an eye opener right yeah but at the same time there's a certain kind of muteness or a certain kind of um, not muteness but like um, a certain kind of difficulty to translate the importance of um of attentiveness towards um, secularism as a structuring feature of um, religious plurality, um, and I'm I'm still not sure why this is so. It's um, I I'm just I think it's it has to do with the with a certain with what I started off with um, a certain silencing, a certain indifference, or it's also it, it it's it's also I think it has to do also with the kind of with a certain illegibility of certain um you know arguments which yeah. are legible or not legible or something right so um that's that's something which i really want to work on because 
I'm I'm wondering why is it so difficult to communicate this argument that you know the secular state is maybe part of a of a problem, right? Yeah, yeah. No, this is a this is a great line of thought, and um, and I like that you're trying to to figure out how to get the word out to get this integrated more to think more critically about that and i know that we um here at the religious studies project you know we do try to integrate a lot of these um considerations of you know both the structure of non-religion the structures of atheism the structures of um critical secular studies so you know we're definitely in that lens of trying to think through that mm-hmm. um i was thinking a lot in your in your work you know you use lots of um theorists that lots of folks are pretty familiar with but also um, still figuring out how they might integrate into their work. And you use the term governmentality, which is from Foucault. And I wondered if you could say a bit about how that idea of governmentality sort of helps your work and, you know, what interventions you're seeing it help you do through mm. using that theory or that terminology. Mm. Yeah, thanks. That's a that, that's an important question. I really started my book with um, a governmentality lens and not so much a lens on integration. Actually, the integration bit came a little bit later when mm. I wanted to structure, when I thought about how can I tell the story of what structures all these interrogations, right? And that was basically then integration. And it's actually, I think it turned out to be, I hope so, at least coherent <laughs> in a way. But I started really with governmentality because um, I. I mean, the the this, the first um, incentive of that work uh, to that work came from the chapter four, which um, is on dialogue and dialogue practices, um, where the state um, invites has invited Muslims um, to the table of the republic. One could say, right, and in order to dialogue with them, to govern them, to know them better, um, to recognize them, to integrate them. So, so that was my my first. Um, I mean, my my that was a, a practice, a political practice, which I observed in a in an astonished way, right? Because I I figured out that a lot of scholars and journalists, so in the public sphere as well, they, it was really celebrated, you know, as um, um, the, the, as, an, as a very embracing, endorsing moment where Muslims finally, you know, get a seat on the table of the Republic. And I was from the beginning on really skeptical about that kind of enthusiastic mood and move um, because I, I mean, it's, it's obviously not so unproblematic when the state, um, you know, decides with whom um, the, the political authorities are going to have a dialogue and um, what is the agenda and all this. Um, and nonetheless, it was really, a, it was definitely a, a step towards, um, it was a different move, right, than ignoring Muslims or not not taking them seriously as actors and or, or even segregating them, obviously, right, which has happened or still happens, you know, in parallel. But I was really interested in the techniques of power that are operative in such modes of dialoguing or of recognizing under certain conditions. And so um, that was basically my incentive of of thinking about governmentality, because it's also, I mean, Foucault has really shown how um, 
governmentality operates as a mode of um, creating um, or governing subjects that are entitled and enabled to, to govern themselves. And that was very much the logic behind that um, Islam conference, as it is called in the German case, to really um, educate Muslims so that they become um, enabled uh, liberal subjects, yeah, to say it very bluntly. So, and, and, and more generally, I'm very interested in the question of how um, liberal orders um, operate um, generally, but also in, in particular in regard to what is very often considered the illiberal counterpart or the not yet liberal uh -huh. counterpart, you know, so that, and, and of course, governmentality is, you know, a kind of, is, is, is an interesting lens because it allows us to see um, that liberalism and, and different operations of power work really very much working together, right? It's not something, I mean, because very often liberalism is considered um, non-hierarchical, open mm -hmm. to everyone, universal, and so on. And Foucault really teaches us that it's a little bit more complicated. I mean, so that was my lens, but I'm not saying, I mean, I'm not making really an argument in the, or I'm not making a theoretical contribution, I would mm. say, right, with my book um, a little bit because I'm trying also to to bring back the state in to uh -huh. governmentality studies, which also a lot of other scholars have already um, basically traced the path um, towards. But I'm 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 trying to figure out how this how the interrelationship between state and governmental governmental practices work and how the state is affected through those very governmental practices mm -hmm. and I, sh I, I show that through these practices so that's maybe my you know also yeah empirically driven theoretical contribution yeah well it's always great to see how we can integrate various theories and sort of use them mold them help us um, launch our products like launch our research in whatever kinds of theoretical interventions are, are helping us analyze the work that we have. So, um, mm. so it's helpful that you, you were able to use that. Um, I wanted to shift actually something else you mentioned in that same chapter. I loved this discussion of sports and swimming, um, mm. in terms of that being this lens for deciding on the, I guess, level of integration. Um, so one thing that we talk about a lot in the religious studies project is mm. revealing sort of unmarked or normative assumptions about religious practice that are just assumed to be facts. And you do an amazing job in this kind of uh, section, especially thinking about the assumptions of, of Muslims in terms of gender norms, for example, um, but then also showing that um, these very gender norms that Muslim subjects are expected to attend to actually have a really bumpy history in Germany themselves. So I wonder if you could talk just more about that case study, so to speak, of, of mm -hmm. swimming and gendered sports classes, because I think that it's really revealing for a number of topics that I personally am interested in. I know that our listeners are interested in. I came to that particular example through the through analyzing or by going through all the um, different 
I would call it really incitements vis-a-vis um, -vis Muslims to adjust to a particular ideal of secular constitutional state and its values, right? I mean, the, the, the question of values is really important because it was really attached to the, the supposedly abstract um, constitutional state within the practices of dialoguing. And, um, and, the, and the question of... Um, sports uh, mixed and 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 sports and swimming classes are, came up in during those um, incitements where um, one of the representatives of Muslim of a Muslim organization claimed that per, for him it might be a question right if if there could be segregated swimming or sports classes um, and that triggered you know a whole you know <laughs> scandal basically so and and there are the limits of of um, recognition were very clearly drawn. Um, and, and what is interesting in that example is, I think many things, I mean, one is, I think it's symptomatic, I think for a, um, for a mechanism in which the constitutional state really gains quite embodied contours, <laughs> right? By um, revealing its body itself, right? I mean, by, by, say, by showing what um, is, I mean, how a good, you know, docile, gender, equally minded body has to behave <laughs> in public or state um, situations, right? Or state institutions in that case, and namely the school, namely that, you know, the, the girls and students have to be mixed gendered wise, which mm -hmm. obviously is, as you, as you pointed out in your question, is really not even you know, pertaining to the reality, because there are many um, uh, different federal states in Germany where there are there are gender segregated sports and swimming classes, right? For different reasons, maybe than than Islamically um, kind of justified ones, but um, definitely. So it's it's just a, it's it's a, it's obviously an imaginary of a liberally minded. Um, and a liberally versed um, subject that interacts, you know, with the with the other sex, right? So that is that is what the, the good um, German has to do, right? I mean, doing sports together, male and female, swimming, being a little bit visible, a little bit naked, but not too much, right? So there are certain yeah. um, ideals and conventions about the ideal, you know, visible body that is also accessible by state institutions, I would say, um, that this particular case really shows, right? Um, and that is, which are constructed through or by um, basically um, othering, let's let's put it that way. I mean, or by, by marking the other as different and as not compatible. Um, and I think this is something, I think the, the this particular example is interesting, but it, it's also symptomatic, right? It's just an example. I mean, the same happens um, with um, veiling or with other kinds of gendered um, Islamic practices. So there's always, you know, the deviant body of the other that is that enables to constitute ourselves as, you know, or not ourselves, but the, the national kind of ideal body. Um, even if it's not called the national body, obviously it's it's basically the, the you know it's it's an abstract 
figure it's 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 not even a bodied being right i mean it's a it's a kind of but it it definitely um constitutes um the ideal of gender equality in that case right and the ideal of an unmarked whole in a way yeah absolutely kind of to follow up on that my um and then sort of maybe a, a wind wind down question because actually we've flown through time here um but i wanted to ask about this idea of like um patronization and sort of the pedagogical paternal authority in terms of the state having this control over this idealized muslim body but doing it in a way that is a bit patronizing to be honest as far as how they see the subject. And I just wonder if you could say more about that because you touch on that and it's a very interesting point to me. Mm. Yeah, no, I think it's it's not, it doesn't only seem to you patronizing, <laughs> but it's very, I mean, it's very paternalistic in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I mean, I think all the, all the examples that I show um, really reveal a paternalistic idea that there is, um, a state that needs to take care of its not yet liberated subjects um, and needs to help them in a pedagog pedagogic way or in an in, in an in a recognizing way, but not recognizing their or recognizing their difference only under a certain conditionality, or by disciplining them very out overtly, like I show in the case of citizenship tests, where it's, I mean, there's the, I mean the it's not only pattern, the paternalistic undertone is really even, I would say, replaced by a, by an overt, it's it's kind of clear-cut racist racism, right? I mean, it's it's yes. I mean, there's nothing else to say about, I mean, this um, civil servant who really spells out all his aversions against what he calls um, our main problem, namely Muslims, right? So there you can see that um, it, it, it's, I mean, the paternalism can be a bit more subtle, but it can also be very overt. Um, and it depends obviously on how well Muslims behave, right? I mean, according to this notion of yes. when they are, when they are considered integrated or, or when they are not yet integrated subjects so um if they if they claim you know to to um if they claim to have a say in terms of what are the conditions of the question what are the conditions of integration let's put it that way and what is the framework you know within which um there this conversation can happen then then it's definitely more and then, then there's the, the paternalizing tone very quickly um, is translated into a very disciplining yeah. mode. Um, yeah, that's great. I love that the paternalizing quickly shifts to discipline if maybe too much power is assumed or or had to be grabbed. So as mentioned, we're we're sort of short on time. So I wondered if you could just direct us to anything that you're working on, any direction that this research is going into a new direction, or perhaps you're doing something completely different um, that you'd like to, to tell us about and tell our listeners about? Oh, yeah, yeah, I have many things <laughs> to follow up, but I would definitely not work on 
um, integration anymore because and this is really something which I have been dealing with and thinking about for so many years now. The book really also took me quite a long time, so I really want to move to something else. But I'm still very much interested. We didn't speak about that um, so much, but I'm still very much interested in techniques of knowledge production, which also, you know, are part of all the practices that are that I describe. Um, the the I, I'm very much interested in bureaucratic knowledge and how knowledge gets um, inserted into the bureaucratic apparatus, um, like expertocracy, as one could call it, right? Um, so that's something which I really would like to think a bit more carefully through because I'm only alluding to it, um, the, the techniques of knowledge production um, prevailing or that are salient in the integration discourses. But um, I think that is something which I really um, would like to pursue. And I would also invite um, other people to think a little bit more um, about what I describe or analyze as practices in more ethnographical terms, right? I mean, to look at the bureaucratic um, apparatus in a, I mean, by, by really investigating the relational um, moments, right? When, for instance, you know, Muslims or other minoritized subjects are interrogated by the state um, apparatus, what, what happens in those moments? So what is, what is the bureaucratic lens, I mean, really doing then in in those um, in those relationships, I think that I mean ethnographic work. I think would be really interesting because it would definitely also lead them to to different answers and and complexify um, or complicate a little bit, um, you know this this kind of the relationship. It's it's probably I mean that that would be something which I would like to do, but I'm not sure if I'm able to do ethnography. But because of course the those institutions don't want to be um, researched mm, or of course, be, yeah. become the object of research, right? Limitations but, there. But it's like it's like this shifting of the of the gaze um, thing, which I think is really important that one should um, think a bit more carefully through um, not, not investigating the minority, right? I mean, but um, looking at the conditions that constitutes minorities. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for that. That's uh, super exciting. And we are just so glad to have had you here, Professor Dr. Amir Azami. Uh, and thank you. Thank you again. Thank you so much. It was really fun. The RSP is sponsored by the British Association for the Study of Religions, the North American Association for the Study of Religion, and the International Association for the History of Religions. The Religious Studies Project is produced by the Religious Studies Project Association, SCIO, a Scottish charitable incorporated organisation, charity number SC047750. Brought to you by Editor-in-Chief Andy Alexander and founding editors Chris Cotter and David Robertson. Our features are edited by Israel Dominguez and Savannah Finver and our Opportunities Digest by Trevor Lynn. Audio editing by Alex Matthews and Nathan Springer. Podcast transcription by Ayesha Javid and Jacob Noblet, and social media managed by Candice Mixon. Don't forget, you can support the project by using our Amazon.com.co.uk and .ca links, or donating at patreon.com slash projectrs. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes, Instagram, and other portals. Thanks for listening.